Morning, glory and evening, grace, America. On the day after another, they called it Western Tuesday, I've advanced the Hillsdale Dialogue yet again to a Wednesday, and I will be replaying it on Good Friday along with my uh, groundbreaking interview with N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright, of course, world-class theologian, and on Friday, on Good Friday, I do not work, but uh, Larry Arn will be working virtually uh, via the replay of this, and Dr. Wright will be joining me to talk about what it is that Christians are uh, remembering on Good Friday, and uh, that will all come on Friday, but it's the Wednesday after another vote. So Dr. Arn in his Geneva Castle in Switzerland, I look across it from him on Lake Lucerne, and we talk to each other as the two last people in Switzerland. Dr. Arn, how are you? Well, how are you, Hugh? I, I'm good. I'm confused. I'm very yeah. confused. Yeah, yeah. It uh, Well, there's a pattern now, isn't there? I mean, uh, uh, I looked at the real clear politics averages today, and and Trump is about forty percent, and uh, Kasich uh, Cruz gets the lion's share of the rest, and Kasich gets ten or something like that, if I remember right. And so you have a front runner, and you have some primaries coming up that that supports him, and I think Cruz uh, Trump needs a sweep in California to get to the minimum to, to get past the threshold. And so, will he get that or not? And California divides its 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 uh, primary, right? It's not a winner take all state. So the point is, he may we, we may go there with a with a with a with somebody with a majority. In that case, that person will be nominated. And if we don't, it it looks to me like it depends on how close it is and what the popular general Republican polls sh- say. Second and third. What do the polls say about strength against the Democratic nominee? And so the delegates will be thinking about those three things. And there's not much pattern in modern times for this. And so who knows what's going to happen? Now, I, I talked this morning with an old friend of yours, Steve Pontell, and we were talking about the the fact that a lot of Californians have scattered all over the country now, including Mike Morrell and Larry Arnn and Hugh Hewitt. We're all over the place. But we were all the the property rights gang back in the in the 80s uh, gathered together. Now we're blown to the wind, and you're up there at the Lantern of the North Hillsdale College. And California ain't what it once was when it came to politics. It's a completely different place, because I think your assessment is completely right. Who, who plays well in the new California, where there will be 54 elections on June 7th, one for every congressional district and 10 delegates to the statewide winner? That's right. And, you know... Uh, I've been, uh, I've been. Uh, this race, by the way, has been extremely revealing, and I still repeat, exciting and invigorating, because I think that there have been several candidates in it who've been better than the standard we've had since Reagan, and I like them all. And uh, and, but the 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 world is really different. So one of Reagan's strengths, running in '76. Uh, against Ford, which he narrowly lost, lost at the convention, is that uh, is that he was going to bring California with him, and California was you know a, a leaning Republican state into the 1980s, past the 1980s even, and now California you don't expect anybody's going to carry that thing on the Republican ticket, so the electoral map has changed in ways that are negative. And in addition, you know, the, the country has changed, and, and this change in the electoral map is a reflection of that. And so the candidates, I, I've been watching them in the last 10 days, 
the Republican candidates are adjusting, and mostly they're adjusting to Trump, and Trump's success is a, a, a key to the changes in the electorate. Ray, uh, Trump is getting back uh, what used to be called Reagan Democrats, and they've been lost for a long time. And you, if you just watch Ted Cruz's speeches in the last two weeks, they, they sound more like Trump talking to those people. And I think that's a learning experience for the Republican Party, and I'm glad it's happening. And, of course, Ted Cruz is quick as a cat, and he won't fail to learn things that are, that, that, that are revealed in events. So, it's, it's, you know, the Republican Party may just have some terrible experience this year. It's possible with, with so much up in the air. But on the other hand, there's a lot of healthy developments, it looks to me like, too. Now, I caveat, I'm not endorsing anyone, and I keep saying this. I was on MSNBC last night, and I refuse to endorse anyone, but I, I do predict what's going to happen. And I saw Jeb Bush endorse Ted Cruz this morning on, on Wednesday. Yeah. I have not yet seen Governor Scott Walker Act or Marco Rubio Act, but Jeb Bush is a signal. It's a signal that the establishment can make peace with an outsider if his name is Cruz, but they can't make peace with an outsider whose name is Trump. Does such a signal matter in places like Wisconsin, where on April the 5th, the critical primary in this entire election is going to be held? Mm, interesting you say that. I'll explain that. But uh, um, the answer is Scott Walker would be a big name to conjure with there, of course. And, uh, you know, I, 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 can, I can now endorse the ones who are not running anymore. I was all over Scott Walker at the beginning. You know, I thought he'd be a great candidate. Yep. And, and he is a great governor, right? And uh, so, so, yeah, that would matter. And see, just, just remember, Trump is the, is the elephant in the room. And if he weren't in the room, a lot of this, uh, you know, those guys, yeah, Bush wouldn't have endorsed Ted Cruz, except for Donald Trump. Correct. And so Donald Trump is, you know, leading Ted Cruz and may deny him the nomination. But he's been good for him in very powerful ways so far too. There is a working Texting out in the, the there's a working out in the Republican Party. Donald Trump on Monday sat down with the Washington Post editorial board, or maybe it was Tuesday before the Brussels attack, and questioned NATO's uh, enduring ability to continue absent additional contributions from NATO members, and that sent a shudder through some of the of the never-never Trump crowd with whom I'm in constant correspondence. And I'm not a never-Trump person. I've always said I'll support the nominee of the party. But some of those who were with me in that camp uh, shook because they're Atlanticists. They, they, they believe deeply in NATO. Did that bother you, Dr. Arn? Yeah, well, uh, it, uh, th- things that Trump says about foreign policy sometimes bother me and sometimes please me. And they sometimes please me very much. Um, uh, I'll t- I, I, that bothers me uh, because, you know, Trump's running for president, and uh, he just gave a big prepared speech, by the way, to the American Israeli American Israel Political Action Committee, one of the biggest Jewish groups. And I watched it this afternoon on YouTube, and it's you know it's a set piece. It's uh, he read from a teleprompter very natural still. He doesn't look like he's reading from a teleprompter. I just read that he did. And he got a big response. And what he said about Israel, he made the APAC, they apologized to Obama because he was critical of Obama, but he made, he made good comfort with Israel. 
about NATO, you'd be subtle about that, right? You, they, they have a lot of problems over there. I mean, gracious sakes, there's, there's some danger that they're simply going to be overwhelmed by this terrorist threat because there's so many that one reads over and over, even sometimes now from public officials, that there are too many potential par- uh, terrorists for them to track. That's what so, Thomas Jocelyn wrote in the Weekly Standard yesterday. I read from him. He's a very fine analyst. Uh, Thomas Jocelyn writes that the Amok News Agency, a propaganda arm of the Islamic State, has claimed responsibility for today's attack in Brussels. He wrote this on on Wednesday, the cl- on Tuesday. This is hardly surprising. Europe's counterterrorism defenses have cracked because there are simply too many threats to track. An unnamed Belgian counterterrorism official made a similar point during a recent interview with BuzzFeed News. Citing this official, BuzzFeed reported that, quote, virtually every police detective and military intelligence official in Belgium was focused on the international jihadi investigations. Now, aside from that being a boon for car thieves and shoplifters, that is a very ominous development. Yeah, it is. And they and see, they're, you know, they have declining populations in several of those European countries. And, and that makes a cause for immigration. And this whole thing, and, and so they got a lot of immigration and a lot of people coming in are potential dangers and now actual dangers. And they're fighting for the home front. And, of course, they're going to have to do more, right? I mean, you know, it, it, there's no government, surely one says, there's no government that will not respond when its citizens are in peril on their own streets. And, and, and this has given rise because, uh, you know, your, your immigration is a furious debate in the United States, very much in Europe, too. And, you know, in June, there's a vote in Britain about leaving the EU. And these terror attacks are, are an element in the debate about that and will be a factor in the vote. Uh, when we come back from break, we're going to talk about that and Donald Trump's announcement of his national security team, as well as his um, uh, his path forward, if there is one, where it goes, and about John Kasich. Don't go anywhere, America. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show. 21 minutes after the hour, America. It's the Hillsdale Dialogue. A couple of days early, it will repeat on Friday. My guest is Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College. Everything that Hillsdale offers, and you need it all, is available at hillsdale.com. You can read all of our dialogues dating back four years or listen to them if you're a binge listener. You can go between House of Cards and the Hillsdale Dialogues with Dr. Arn and Hugh Hewitt at hughforhillsdale.com. Dr. Arm, we went to break. We're talking about Donald Trump announcing his team of foreign policy advisors. They are led by Alabama Senator Jeff Sessions, a good man. They consist of counterterrorism expert Walid Faris, who's a very smart guy, energy consultant George Papadopoulos, who I do not know, former Defense Department Inspector General Joe Schmitz, whom I do not know, managing partner of Global Energy Capital Carter Page, whom I do not know, and former Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, who is well-known and a very serious man, uh, as one gets to be when you get three stars in the Pentagon. Nevertheless, it isn't the 150 natural, national security experts who sent a never-Trump letter two weeks ago. Has Donald Trump done enough to allay traditional internationalist Republicans and, and interventionists of both the George H.W. type and the George W. type as to his credibility in this area? Uh, no, and uh, I don't even think he aims to do that. I think, because uh, <laughs> remember, George uh, Donald Trump is strongly critical of every predecessor in memory that he's got, maybe every predecessor ever, except for Ronald Reagan and Abraham Lincoln. So this is a purpose to cut ties 
with some of that stuff. And the Middle East policy that has driven, uh, you know, American politics and foreign policy, uh, not quite since the collapse of the Soviet Union, but it's, it's become a major factor. And Trump wants a different approach. And the approach he wants, and, you know, I said that there's some things about him that I like, uh, I, something I claim to have learned from Winston Churchill, is that Churchill was always looking for the cheapest and fastest possible way to win the wars. And Churchill, you know, led in those two big world wars that were so costly and diminished his country greatly, and he regretted them, and he tried to, tried to forestall them, and the one in which he won his big glory, he always called it the unnecessary war. And he made this argument, he said, if you're in a perpetual state of war, then what's going to become of liberal government? And liberal government, I mean, that was a, you know, in the, the original meaning of that term, that's where the government is not everything, and where most resources and most decisions are in private people. And that is conceived to be in the public interest. And when the nation is at war, it has to unite in ways that limit freedom. And so Churchill very much wanted to keep that under control. And I think that all of the administrations since Reagan have not paid enough attention to a strategy that liberates us from this as much as possible. And Trump is calling for that, and I think even consistently. And I think that's healthy. Now, uh, anybody, oh, and Cruz is calling for that, too. By yes. The way. And in response, Ted Cruz, I watched a bit of a speech he made yesterday in New York State. I watched it because he referenced me, which is always a great way to start a speech. He said, at a recent yeah. debate, Hugh Hewitt asked a question about religious liberty. And Donald Trump turned to me and said, I know a lot more politicians than you do, Ted. And he said, that's true. And Donald went on to say, oh, you have to compromise with Democrats. And Ted Cruz responded in this clip by ABC News. I will not compromise on your religious liberty. I will not compromise on Supreme Court justices. I will not compromise on your Second Amendment rights. He's playing to the hardcore traditional base of the Republican Party, whereas Donald Trump might be trying for those Macomb County Democrats that you're talking about. Who wins that tussle when they go to Wisconsin, Larry Arn? Well, there you go. And um, uh, I think we're, we're going to find out Tuesday night. <laughs> A week from Tuesday. It's April, it's April the 5th. April the sixth. Yeah, it. Uh, but you know the, the the another thing about this is I I like it. Uh, you know, first of all, this debate is focused so tightly on the interest and protection of the United States of America, and if you just read Winston Churchill a lot, you will find out to your amazement that that's how he talked all the time, and so. First step is the purpose of the United States of America is to protect the, the safety and happiness to put one way put in the in the Declaration of Independence and safety of course includes the safety of our rights and so we need to live in a society where the public sector is not everything and so I like it that they're both talking about this and and those two you know it's down to them we'll talk about Kasich too those two are better at that than I have seen in recent years. And they are, uh, Trump, for example, you know, George W. Bush in the debate in 2000 with Al Gore in one of the debates said, we're not going into nation building. We're just not gonna do that. And we ended up doing that. And, and all six of the 
guys who were remaining a month or six weeks ago when they had a debate before whoever it was got out. Um, they all said that they weren't going to be doing that. But Trump was the one who, who was believed, I think, because he said it so intensely. He even repeated, and I don't think this is true, and I regret that he said it, but it was effective, that Bush lied about the uh, weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. I don't think Bush did that. I even think it's now known what, where that prediction went wrong. But never mind, Trump seems like the guy who really means it. And Cruz also seems like a guy who's, who means it, and that's why he's hanging on. Now, let's talk about Governor Kasich, who was my guest on Tuesday. And he said what one would expect him to say, and the transcript of, is over at HughHewitt.com. He's going to campaign everywhere. He's never gotten any intention. He believes that he'll get to convention, there'll be a second ballot, and that people will turn to him as the person who can win in the fall. And in many respects, I, I may have gobsmacked Brian Williams and Rachel Maddow last night when I said that John Kasich is running a Lincoln campaign. He's going to want to show up as everybody's second choice in Cleveland. What do you make of that assessment? Well, apart from the fact that I don't think that's what Lincoln did, uh, I do think that, that's what, <laughs> You mean, in other words, uh, aside from the fact you're 100% wrong, Hewitt, that, is yeah, that yeah, what you no. meant? <laughs> I, think that, I think that Kasich is, it only in, in, the, in the CNN debate, the civil one where you were, uh, Kasich said, it wasn't followed up very much, and I wish it had been, in the case of a divided uh, convention, you may have brought this up, I don't remember, because you do bring it up all the time, and, and Kasich responded, that's where we are right now, he said. And so that means that's what Kasich is going to do. And Kasich is shrewd. He's a very capable guy, right? And, and uh, so it, uh, the, he's done some things that are dramatic lately that I don't understand, including within 100 days, a legal, legalization bill for all the currently illegal uh, undocumented people in the United States. He said he would do that. Right. And that just came out of nowhere. And it distinguished him from the others. That may have been the reasoning behind it. Undercuts the idea he's running for vice president. I think, you know, he's thinking it's a brawl. Who knows what they'll do? I think he's going to stare down Ted Cruz and say, I'm going with Trump unless I'm the head of the ticket. That's what I think he's going to do. We'll talk about that after the break. Dr. Larry Arn from Hillsdale College. All of Hillsdale's many wonderful offerings are for free. They're available at hughforhillsdale.com for these Hillsdale Dialogues. All of the online courses are at hillsdale.com, including the free online speech digest in Primus, which will be sent to your home monthly. If you just sign up for it, I'll be right back with Dr. Arn. Stay tuned. 34 minutes after the hour, Americans, Hugh Hewitt. Time to talk about electability with Dr. Larry Arn on the day after Super Tuesday. It's Wednesday or Wednesday. Uh, they called it Western Tuesday when Utah and Arizona voted. And uh, it will replay on Friday on Good Friday. And I, I want to begin with this unusual fact. Ted Cruz won, I believe, 64 percent of the Utah vote. Now, uh, seven out of 10 votes in Utah are LDS, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You've got some of them up at Hillsdale College, you know who they are and what they value. And one of the things they value is propriety. Uh, They do not care much for vulgarity. They simply do not care for uh, a great deal of things that Donald Trump has sometimes been associated with. Uh, Donald Trump puts Utah in play for Hillary Clinton. At what point does electability enter into the calculation of the Republican delegates, Larry Arnn? Well, if you think about the historic part, uh, the history of political parties in America, 
it's a very uh, it, it, it so much about American government is planned and thought through and debated and set in place deliberately. Political parties are not, and so you know, and they and the founders who decried them made no provision for them in the Constitution, formed them immediately, <laughs> and began to hammer each other, and and uh, just like today, by the way, at least as intensely as today. So. What are they for? They're, I think they're for two things. I think they're for advancing a set of ideas and policies to go with them. A part, a party, a part of the citizen body joins together to do that. And the first step is the ideas, but the second step is win elections, right? So those two things are going to be debated at the, at the convention, and winning election is, they're both necessary, right? It's no good, no use having the party just to, do whatever, you know, whatever, because you'd be satisfied with any outcome, right? But it's also no use to push your ideas unless you're trying to win, and you've got to win elections. So they're going to be looking at that. And right now, in, in the general election polls, which are early and don't mean much and are very fluid, you have to put those caveats in, Trump is polling the worst of them, uh, of the ones remaining. And Kasich, maybe the last time I looked, a little better than Cruz. Yes, he is. So, so... You, you, you could pay. that'll be a strong argument for Kasich if that persists when the convention comes around in Cleveland. Um, but it's also true that you can also you can also begin to get a sense of what each of them would have to do to win. Kasich, I think, is the more conventional candidate. Uh, he could win because people are sick of all this. That's one theme that's broken out in this election big time. Very large numbers of people are sick of all this, right? Then Cruz could win because I think he I think he went with a strategy in the beginning. Uh, he said he did anyway. That uh, and, and uh, that we just haven't had the courage to stand up consistently for the thing Reagan was for. And if we did do that, we could win. And I I myself doubt that that's true. And I don't know whether Ted really believed that or not. I just have heard him say it. But. Because let's just look at the electoral map. It's just much more difficult than it was in the 80s. Uh, and the people's relationship to the government is altered in various ways. So what, what, what Cruz has to do is hold all of the elements of the traditional uh, Republican uh, vote. He's got to get them out better than before. And he's got to break through, just as Trump does, with, with the Reagan de- de- Democrats. And he's talking like that, right? He has to persuade them that uh, former Secretary of State Clinton is a dreadful candidate, which is not a hard sell. Yeah, yeah, and the, I, I think not. And uh, you know, she'll be she, she'll be greeted with sunshine when she's nominated, although she may well be <laughs> greeted with an arrest warrant somewhere <laughs> down the line. Which <laughs> is not the funniest thing to happen in a day, but uh, um, but. Yeah, she'll be. She'll have a lot of strength, but I don't think she's a great candidate. And eight years of this isn't that. <laughs> just, look, just look at the numbers who are turning out for the Democrat versus the Republican primary. There's just a lot more energy in the Republican primary, as there was much more energy when Obama was nominated. And look at Brussels yesterday. And I brought this up yesterday. Hillary Clinton is the architect of Libya, which is the. 
the surrogate state for ISIS now. It's their colony in the way that the Greeks used to go off and plant colonies, that uh, ISIS has now planted a colony in Libya, and it's growing stronger, and that's Hillary Clinton's colony. Does that matter in a general election? Mm. Well, you know, especially because of these two guys, if it's one of them two, I don't know what Kasich would do, although Kasich is a very salty guy. Yes. Uh, he's, you know, he's got plenty of spit. Um, but I, I don't think that there's anything about her that is subject to attack that is not, that is, that, that will fail to be attacked. I think that these guys are going to go after her hard. And I think so. Let me tell you an interesting thing I noticed. Hold, right hold now, it till Obama's... after the break. Hold it till after the break. I'll be right back with Dr. Larry Arn. He's, he's noticed an interesting thing, so he must have been out of Michigan. Don't go anywhere, America. Dr. Larry Arn of Hillsdale College. We'll be right back. 44 minutes after the hour, America. It's Hugh Hill with Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, uh, the Lantern of the North. And he promised us before we went to break that he'd noticed an interesting thing. And that means he must have been outside of the Wolverine State. What was it that you noticed, Dr. Arn? Yeah, it was the decrepitude of Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) It was uh, um, Bill Clinton. First of all, Obama approval ratings are above 50% right now. Correct. A little bit. And uh, that's interesting, right? He just looks better compared to all these guys scruffling at each other, I think, maybe. Whatever the cause of it, he is. But Bill Clinton gave a speech last week in which he said, we can't. We have to get rid of these terrible last eight years. Yep. And the Bush years too, right? So it was intentional. So, it was not a misstatement. No, he he developed the point, and uh, you know, I uh, I think that those two, the Clintons, have a political partnership, right? I think they've worked together for a long time, and they do that very well. I think she's taken on a ground in opposition to Obama. And it's notorious they don't like each other. And, uh, you know, friends of mine have thought Obama's going to let her be prosecuted. And I don't believe that for a minute. I think politics, politi- politicians are like nations, right? They, they, they have allies more than friends. And uh, I think he wants her to win. He sort of endorsed her through his press secretary. Yes. Because that's the way to preserve the stuff that he's done, right? But having said that, she is finding it advantageous to mark out a ground separate from him. And that's another confirmation of the fact that people are tired of all this. And of course, there's a Republican opportunity because of that. All right, let me conclude by talking about what we're talking originally on the Wednesday after Western Tuesday when uh, Ted Cruz won Utah and Donald Trump won Arizona. And we're looking forward to, to April 5th in Wisconsin, which will be a huge deal. And we'll follow what Scott Walker does. But Ted Cruz has underperformed among evangelicals, and this will rebroadcast on Good Friday uh, among the holiest days in the Christian calendar. And in Hillsdale is itself a Christian university, though not explicitly allied with the denomination. It's, it's probably a little more Catholic than it is evangelical. It has its Jews, it has its Mormons, it has its non-believers. But uh, what do you make of the failure of Ted Cruz to solidify the evangelical vote, and do you think that changes now that the field is pretty doggone clear of everyone but Ted Cruz competing well, for that vote? you know, Ralph Reed wrote an interesting article about that, I think, in the Wall Street Journal. Ralph Reed is the, you know, was the head of the Christian Coalition for a long time, and a uh, very smart guy. And he said, you know, it's kind of overplayed how they vote, because they vote on a lot of other reasons than just their faith. Um, and And so... 
they they will you know they first of all you got a leg up if you're if you're a serious Christian, and Donald Trump is less obviously he professes his Christian faith by the way, and, and I'm not the one to question that. Yep. Um, and but but Cruz has pushed hard for the evangelicals, and one would think they would do he would do better with them as time goes on. But so far he has not done nearly as well as expected. And, and to what do you attribute that? Well, I think that uh, people, you know, I think in the end, I think I attribute to the fact that people are rational. I think that they think about all kinds of things when they vote for president of the United States, and their faith is one of them. And so when you get three guys up there who say they're against abortion, three guys up there who say that they're going to protect religious liberty, absolutely. And I think Kasich says that a little weaker than the other two. I'll even tell you what I mean. He said, you know, if somebody wants to buy a cupcake, sell them a cupcake. He told that to me, yes. He told me that. And then, that's right. And then the next debate, he qualified that some, right? If you've got a serious religious ground, you know, you and I have talked about this, right? If you want to, if you're asked to spend your life participating, you know, in your commercial enterprises in ceremonies that that you, with, with, with which you greatly disagree, then why should you be made to do that, right? A lot of people sell cupcakes. So that's what I think about the issue. And Kasich is closer to that now. Well, those are big hot-button issues for Christian people of every stripe when they're serious about it. And, and, uh, and so everybody is pretty good on that, right? And that means that then there's other things that come into it, too. And that's really what Ralph Reed's article says. And everybody is, and it's a good place to conclude, I think everyone is following this very closely. They, they know what is being said, and they understand the differences between the candidates. Do you agree with me on that? Oh, yeah. I, uh, I adore the fact that you can get so much information. You can watch everything directly. I adore the fact, Hugh, that you and your colleagues have comported yourself well in these debates, not trying to make yourself the story or the filter for the American people. And I think that's all very healthy, and I think people are paying a very great deal of attention. I hope that that Trump, Cruz, and Kasich would make their way to Hillsdale for a conversation. I don't know if that's in the works or not, but it would seem to me to be in their best interest to continue to talk in public among themselves. What do you think about that? Uh, well, there, you know, there seems to be a judgment uh, that uh, Trump is doesn't want so many debates. We have invited them once, and we didn't get them just the calendar was so crowded. And uh, and also by the time, you know, we thought the week before the Michigan primary would be a great thing, but the polls showed that somebody was, you know, Trump was going to win Michigan by a bunch. So everybody then has got a less reason to go. And they had that Fox debate in Detroit. So, which was almost at Hillsdale, but we didn't make that work. Um, but you would think uh, that before California votes on 6-7, they ought to come out here and talk about not just immigration, but trade, agriculture, the water crisis, endangered species, the, the, the unfunded pension liabilities, which are the hidden anchor around the neck of this state. There's so much to talk about in California, and it will decide the convention. They should. And I'll add a point. Just at, you know, here's what my underlying theory of politics is. If the country is healthy, people take their citizenship seriously. And that means that the country is not a church. And so you have to protect your religious freedom if you're a Christian by as a very first priority. But if you think it's protected, there's other stuff. 
Well, why don't Hispanics and all these other subgroups, why don't they think like that too? And I like it about the campaigns that remain, especially Trump and Cruz. I like it that they talk to the American people as a people. And they're, and they're not saying, I'm going to do this group and I'm going to do that group. And I like that. And they talk about the interests, the, the principles, the institutions, and the interests of the United States of America. Great way to end this week. Thank you for joining me early, Dr. Arn. And again, on Good Friday, have a wonderful Easter and a happy Easter to all in the Arn household. I'll be back, America, to wrap up today's Who Do It Show.